2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and finish up a kind of a little Christmas theme of Christmas past and present and future because of the weather. We did Christmas past last week. We're going to do Christmas present and future this week. But my commitment to you is this. You'll get out before 2 o'clock, okay? I'm teasing. You'll get out on time. I tell you, I, uh, I don't know about you. Um, when the kids came in and uh, gathered across the front, I, uh, I thought to myself, you know, we don't realize, we take for granted, I think, sometimes how God blesses Indian Springs. While we're over here meeting, we've got several hundred kids over there worshiping, being taught the Word of God, and learning how to express their heart to the Lord. Isn't that incredible? I mean, God is so good. Uh, my second thought was, I'm sure glad they're not going home with me, you know. So, uh, but anyway, today I, I want to direct some of your attention for a few moments to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to begin where we did last week in verse 13. And I want to begin by saying to you, and you, you know this, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you know Christ, you know that, that God has some beautiful words in Scripture for those who are his believers. And I guess maybe as we think about Christmas somewhat, I just want you to know, gang, uh, there's something precious about being in the family of God. This morning you may have come in to just to hear some music or maybe someone invited you maybe because your kid or grandkid uh, had a little part at the beginning. And you may not really know who this Christ is. You may have heard about him. You may have read about him. You may have gone to church and heard preachers uh, perhaps uh, talk about him. But maybe there's not a connection personally. Maybe there's not something in your life that just turns you on for Christ. And I want you to know that there's something very, very precious about being part of the family of God. If you were with us last week, we talked about those, say, being chosen in eternity past. We talked about them being called in eternity present. Precious truths, theologians call justification. That God, somehow in his mind, chose us in him before he ever hung the first star into the sky. That if you're a follower of Christ, you were chosen in him Paul says, from the beginning, you were in the heart of God. You were in the mind of God. God knew you before you were ever born. And then in eternity present, in this matter of time, there came that moment when the Spirit of God called you to himself. He convicted you of your sin. He brought you to faith. He gave you the gift of repentance and faith. And he birthed you into the kingdom of God. That's important for the children of God to know. It's very important when times are very difficult. When Paul was writing here to the church at Thessaloniki, they were going through a tough time. I mentioned to you last week there was intense persecution. They, uh, they were wondering whether it was worth it all. In fact, this idea started floating around somehow, probably from some false teachers, which is how a lot of it happens today as well as back then, cults. These guys get some idea. And so something started floating. Perhaps someone was writing something. But somehow the word started floating around 
that because the times were so difficult and persecution was so intense that the day of the Lord or Jesus had come back and they had missed it. Gang, it's one thing to suffer knowing that Jesus is coming back. But to suffer thinking he's already come and you missed it. And so I think in their mind, and I'm reading a little bit into this perhaps, but I, I think in their mind they're saying, what good is it? If I've tried to live for Christ and it's been bad, but he's come and he's rescued the others, but he hasn't rescued me, what good is it? And so Paul writes, and he says, oh, no, 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 don't worry. God hadn't forgotten you. You haven't missed anything. It's all part of the plan. You were chosen from the beginning, and you'll be with him forever. Theologians call the first part of salvation justification. We said last week it means that God has declared you righteous through faith. God has declared you righteous based upon not you and your seemingly goodness or your trying to be good. He's declared you righteous based upon His Son, Jesus Christ. And oh, dear people, oh, dear people, because of the declaration of God, not only are you righteous, you're 100% righteous based upon Jesus. He's in your camp. And he's accepted you. A lot of people go through their lives not believing that God would ever accept them. They look at their life, it's been a mess. I look at my life, it's kind of messy, huh? There's no way God could love me. There's no way God could accept me. There's no way God could forgive me. God says, I do that, not through you. I do that through your son, my son. I do that through Christ. Now, that was last week's message. Paul doesn't stop encouraging him them because he continues to write, and he talks about these other two categories of salvation, not just justification, but he talks about sanctification, which is going to be my main theme this morning. And then he finishes it with glorification. And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. I mentioned in the first service, someone said, that doesn't sound like Christmas. I said, well, it depends if you're the preacher or not. It sounds like Christmas to me. Sounds like a little weird for Christmas. I said, well, I'm weird, you know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. And I could not see on my own. God gave me sight. Sounds an awful lot like a Christmas present, doesn't it? Amen. Well, let's stand together and why don't we begin reading verse 13 and read through verse 15, okay? Paul writing to a very pressured church. But we should always, he says, give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Why? Well, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel. Why? Well, that you may gain the glory. That's the glorification aspect we'll close with. That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then what's the result? Well, 
while we're here and remain, he says to the church there and says to us, so then, brethren, you got to stand firm. You got to hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Notice verse 15. That's really not part of my message. What do we do in this interval period waiting on Jesus to come, knowing that the world is increasingly becoming hostile to Christians? Do we turn tail and run? Do we shut up and live in our little corner of the world? Do we just kind of seclude ourselves and come to church and sing Kumbaya and, and go home? No, 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 no. He says, verse 15, you stand firm, even if A and E doesn't like you. Huh? You stand firm, and you hold to the traditions that you were taught. That truth, the Bible, that's been handed down year after year from grandma and grandpa to mom and dad to you, that you give to granddaughter and grandson so that if the Lord returns, your great-grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids, and I hope I'm dead by then, but your great-great-great-grandkids get it. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I need your help. Incredible stuff, but Lord, I, I, I don't know. Oh, well, God, without you, we can't. But with you, we can do all things. So with your Holy Spirit illuminating this stuff to us, this truth to us, it'll change us. And we so desperately need to be changed. Father, some here today are hurting deeply. Some here today are lonely. Some have, been, have just been attacked, perhaps because of their faith, or they've been jilted by a lover. May they understand your love in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's be seated. Keep your Bible open. And in fact, I want you to kind of, instead of looking at me, look at something better. Look at verse 13, okay? And I want to begin, secondly, we've already talked, guys, we've already talked justification. Mark, you can kick that on over. I want to talk to you for a few moments about sanctification. Look at verse 13. He says, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. And then if you're a Bible scribbler, I want you to circle the word through sanctification. Now, I've got to tell you something. I struggled with this little preposition, through. And I struggled. In fact, I spent hours trying to wrestle it out. I called the greatest, one of the greatest theologians I've ever known, Don Chancellor, and asked him. He didn't know. The fact of the matter is, most of the Bible translations have it translated through, which means through the means of or through the channel of. But literally, that word through is a preposition called in. And it's a preposition that deals with location or position. Now, I think I know why they translated it through because, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but most of the time when you hear preachers teach or preachers preach on sanctification, most of the time they dwell on that process that God takes you through. And so I have a feeling the reason... They, they translated it through is because they're wanting to emphasize the process. But, but literally what Paul says this, God has chosen you in sanctification. That's called position or location. God has taken you from the outside, and God has transformed you and placed you on 
the inside, and he's done it by the Spirit, which we know the Holy Spirit does that, and faith in the truth. He's declared us just, and he's placed us in the family of God according to grace. Isn't there something precious about being in the family of God? Isn't there something precious about God taking an old, depraved, wretched, renegade sinner and jerking that boy up and placing that old boy who's still a wretched sinner, cleaning him up through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and placing him into the body of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, last week I defined justification for you. Let me define sanctification, okay? And then we're going to break it down a little bit. Sanctification, here's the definition I think is a good one. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that sets believers apart from sin to righteousness for a purpose. In other words, when God declared you justified, He took you and He placed you in the body of Christ. He declared you righteous, and he set you apart that you might be holy and righteous for a purpose that he has declared for you. Now, by its very nature, sanctification then must have a starting place. It must have a process, which is why I think they translated this through. And then it must have a logical conclusion or an ending. Okay? And so that's what I thought we might breakdown. I think the question we have to ask ourselves, well, if there is such a thing as sanctification, what does that mean? How does it work itself out? Well, let me talk about those three divisions for a moment. When God sanctifies us, the first thing he does, he sanctifies us initially. We might call that conversion. That's why justification comes in, where God declares us out of darkness into light. And so initially, he sanctifies us by saying, I have justified you, I have placed you in my family for a purpose that I might be glorified in your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is a great verse. It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If any man is in Christ, that's that same preposition in. If any man is in Christ, he has a new person. There's something different now about him. There's some different motivation that he has. Old things pass away. There's a whole new perspective that's growing in his life. See, initially, in sanctification, the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ. Some might would say he's called us. Some might say he's drawn. But the fact of the matter is, beloved, you're placed into the body of Christ. But that's not all sanctification means. Not only are we placed in Christ initially, but we're sanctified Continually. I'm going to call that conviction. This is where the emphasis, I think, of most preachers and most of the scriptures talks about. The Spirit of God leads us to Him. Now the Spirit of God leads us in Him. Let me tell you, God assumes the responsibility. God res assumes the ownership in our life so that anything that happens... From the smallest event to the largest event, from the gladdest event to the saddest event, to the 
baddest event, all must pass through his will because you belong to him. Let me explain it to you this way. Uh, many years ago, we had a daughter. Uh, Ron, Paul, how old is she? She's not 40, is she? 30? Who said that? Yeah, y'all in school get 39 years. 39 years? I know, it's crazy looking at me. 39 years ago, Paula brought forth into this world a new creature. And we named her Rhonda. And I'll never forget that the first time I saw that bowl full of jelly, something happened inside of me. The first thing that happened is I own her. Second thing that happened to me is, my goodness, I'm responsible for her. Now, through the years, I've had to remind her from time to time, I own you. But I've never forgotten the fact that I'm responsible for her. In fact, can I tell you a little secret? I'm so feeling responsible for her, I still give her a little gas credit card. You say, she's 40, she's my girl, you leave her alone. Well, in such much of the same way, God does that to us. When he's pleased to justify us and to declare us righteous through his son. Oh, believer, it's at that point God says, Dustin, I own you. And it's my responsibility now. To make you like me. And Dustin, you don't have any choice in the matter. So I told my daughter, you belong to me. You don't have a, you don't have a vote. You don't have a say. You're mine. Oh, folks, do you understand? You're his. And that's what this part of sanctification is. Everything that goes into your life and through your life goes through according to his smile. Because you're his. This week as I was working on this and, and thinking about our church and the wonderful year that we've had, I, um, I found myself struggling just a little bit. And the reason is, is because we have had a good year, but the year's about over. We've got to start all over again, you know. And I was praising the Lord for the good year, and then I was kind of struggling about the next year. And it dawned on me. What happened in 2013... And whatever happens in 2014 is going to happen because of the will of God. It goes through his filter. And while sometimes we get tired that we've got to start all over again, the fact of the matter is God is not going to allow anything in our life that's not going to help us be more like him. That's what this continual sanctification is all about. Paul's wanting them to understand, and I think he wants us to understand, that this continual sanctification is this process of increasing holiness in our life to strengthen us for whatever purpose he has for us, okay? Now, one of the things you ought to ask yourself is, am I more holy today than I was a year ago? Because that's one of the proofs of salvation. If God is in this sanctifying business of your life, then there's no way you can be the same today than you were yesterday. You with me? And if you look at your life and you evaluate your life and you say, well, you know, I don't know that I'm any more hungry for God today than I was a year ago. Something's bad wrong there. If there's nothing inside of you that churns you, if, if there's nothing that melts your butter for God, 
then you need to evaluate your life because he says you're mine. And I'm going to lead you on a path that's going to increasingly set you aside for a purpose. I'm going to make you holier and holier. And in that sanctification, he builds within us this incredible hunger and thirst and desire for God. And I don't want to be cruel. Well, I don't think I want to be cruel. But here's the deal, gang. If you're not more holy today than you were five years ago, you're probably lost. You probably don't know the Savior. Because God's express purpose is to sanctify you continually, to change your life continually, to make you more holy continually until He comes or you die. That's what continue, That's why I think through is used so much. Because He's bringing you along this progressive track. To make you more and more like And he's going to chip away anything in your life that doesn't look like Christ, that doesn't act like Christ, that doesn't think like Christ. It may be sandpaper or maybe a hammer and chisel, but it's going to happen if you belong to him. So there's sanctification that's initial. There's sanctification that's continual. And then there's sanctification that's ultimate. Ultimately, we could call that consummation. The Spirit leads us to Him. The Spirit leads us in Him. And then the Spirit leads us with Him. Oh, dear people, dear Christian, at some point, you're going to be complete in your sanctification. Now listen, it's not going to happen until you get to heaven. But you ought to be well on your way. The people to whom Paul was writing desperately needed to hear this. We desperately need to hear it today because we live in an increasingly hostile world against Christianity. Increasingly, our Christian liberty is being challenged. And so therefore, we need to know that what God has started, God will complete until the very end. Let me give you a grand truth, something I wrote down. I think it's important. Maybe it's a little bit of a Christmas zapper for a zinger for you. God has his people. You never forget. God has his people prepared to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And then when they respond by faith in the truth, it's at that point God assumes responsibility. It's at that point God begins the process that will be complete until Jesus Christ comes. I want you to look back with me in verse 13 because there's something really, really important. And I'm going to, I did this in the first service and I'm going to chase a rabbit. I'll just tell you up front, I'm rabbit chasing for a moment. Because God has chosen you, he says, from the beginning for salvation in, if you allow me to say it literally, in sanctification, how? By the Spirit. We know that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But notice that phrase, faith in the truth. How does sanctification take place? It takes place by faith in truth. What's the truth? The truth is the Word of God. Now, gang, listen to me very carefully. Nobody grows in sanctification. Nobody can grow in sanctification without the instrument of Scripture being poured into their life 
and then making adjustments in their life according to Scripture. Now, here's my rabbit. The reason why we emphasize Sunday school to you, the reason why we say small group is very important, is because we know that if you're in Sunday school, you're going to be taught truth, and only truth can change your life. One of the reasons why, when, when Don and I began to meet, one of the reasons why we decided to, to, to I, I don't mean force, but greatly encourage our teachers to go back to a curriculum base instead of doing whatever they wanted to do is because we knew that when we go to a curriculum base, we know what they're going to be teaching, and we know that they're going to be teaching Scripture, not feel-good fizzies that last for a day or two and have gone away. I know, if you're a Sunday school teacher, listen, I know it's hard for you. I know that digging golden nuggets from the Word of God is increasingly difficult for you in your life, and you're busy, and yet now you have to dig out gold. I, it's hard work to do that. But the fact of the matter is, and we try to help you as best we can, but the fact of the matter is, if you're not digging the golden nuggets, and if you're not giving the golden nuggets, your people are not being sanctified properly. They're not growing into disciples of Christ. I have to tell you that one of the reasons we've gone to back to this is because it allows Don and me to be in control. We're not control freaks. Well, maybe we are. But the reason we do it is because we want to control what's going into the minds of our students. We want to know that the Word of God is being taught to our people. And you need to know that one day I'm going to be called before the Master to give an account how our church and our small groups handled it. And I want to stand before the Master and I want him to hear me say, we challenged our Sunday school small group leaders to teach the Word of God. Because he knows, and I believe, Paul was writing to let them know that only the Word of God changes lives. That's sanctification. Initially, you're placed in the body. Continually, you grow until ultimately, through the Word of God, you become complete in Him at the consummation. And then you spend all of eternity enjoying, worshiping, and doing what else we're going to be doing up there. I hope there's bow hunting up there, because I want to do some of that myself, okay? All right, last thing, real quickly, and I'm, I'm out of here. Verse 14, glorification. Let's talk about that final moment, okay? Verse 14, it was for this He called you through our gospel. What? Oh, that you might gain, notice, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, children of God, listen to me. You who remain faithful through all of life's challenges and through all of life's trials and through all of life's tears, Paul says one day you will gain the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when, when the Bible describes sin, it describes us as falling short of the glory of God. You ever showed a, shoot a bow and an arrow and a bow, the arrow falls short? That's sin. Armatia. It means to fall short of the glory of God. One day, Paul said, no, that'll never be the case for you believers. One day, you're going to hit the target. You're going to gain 
the very glory of God. And in that day, everything you do that you stood for Christ, everything you encountered in your struggle for Christ, on that day you'll gain His glory. I, I don't know, how many, of you, how many of you grew up in church? I mean, from, you know, the nursery. Well, good. Do you remember a hymn we used to sing called It Will Be Worth It All? How many of you remember that? Good. Somebody sing it. No, I'll tell you. I wish I could sing, because if I could sing, Stu, I'd belt this one. Listen to these words. And I don't know if you remember, but back in, in the day, we used to do it that, that hold that thing, will be worth it all. When we, see, you remember that? Well, think about that as I read this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small, young people, when we see Christ. One glimpse, young parents, of his dear face. All sorrow, oh folks, will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Oh, dear saint. You who are faithful in the sun and the rain, those of you that are faithful in the calm and the storm, one day you're going to share the glory of God. They needed to hear that. And I just have a feeling that some of you need to hear that today as well. Let me close with, uh, oh, by the way, let me, I was going to define that. No, go back to the other one, Mark, you did good. I was going to define uh, the gaining means to be encircled. My, my dumb definition of it means to be dumped right in the middle of glory. Isn't that incredible? One day, one day, one day, you're going to get dumped right into the middle of glory. And I got to tell you, I, uh, I, I look, we may do, some of us, that may happen to us this year. If it happens to me, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to miss my wife. I'm going to miss my kids. I'm really going to miss my grandkids. If it happens to me, I want you to know I'm going to miss my church. Okay? But here's what I want you to know. I'm going to be dumped right in the middle of glory, and that's okay. okay? You guys can cry if you want to, probably sing. If I have a service, hand out chocolate so everybody's veins can clog up. But just remember, I'm in the middle of glory, and I wouldn't change that for all the world. Amen. Well, let me give you a Christmas tidbit. This is a Christmas service, so I've got to do something about Christmas. Let me give you a tidbit to go out on, okay? What always, here's your Christmas theme. What always begins in grace always ends in glory. You got that? Remember that. Whatever always begins in grace always ends in glory. God sees to it. Therefore, church at Thessaloniki, therefore Indian Springs Baptist Church, stand firm, hold on, the glory of God is coming. Let's pray. Stu, I'm not going to have an invitation this morning, I don't know what all we got planned, but I just, uh, 